Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. Just a quick reminder that the reason you are hearing this uh, sermon in this format rather than um, like from a Sunday morning is because we were having some difficulty in the sound booth and we didn't catch it. And so uh, our recordings our recordings didn't turn out. So what I'm doing is I'm just reading through, just reading through um, the uh, the basic outline, uh, part of the transcript of um, of this of this uh, Sunday sermon. Uh, this is Daniel chapter 3, and um, I will tell you part of the story, and we'll go through, a few, go through a few notes. So this is Daniel chapter 3. Uh, the story goes like this. King Nebuchadnezzar has just built a massive um, idol on the plain of Dura, and he is requiring that everybody bow down and worship it. That everybody bow down and worship this, this idol. Uh, that's that's out on the plain of Dura. When the music plays, and the band strikes up their favorite song, and and they begin to they begin to play this this melody that's just played throughout, everybody stops what they're doing and they bow down and they worship. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have a problem with this. Um, on, on a couple weeks ago, I explained it this way. My dad had a dog one time that killed chickens. And what what he did was he took one of the chickens and he wired this dead chicken to the dog's collar. And the dog had to live with this dead, rotting animal around his neck until it finally rotted and fell off. That dog, from that point forward, would not even look at a chicken because it was so disgusted. In, in some ways, it's very similar to the way Israel was operating. They had spent so much time in idolatrous worship, even though God had said not to, that now that they are in Babylon, they are like, no way. They can still smell the rotting corpse of that chicken around their neck. It is still stuck in their nose, this idea that idolatry put us in captivity and we don't want to have anything to do with that. So the problem becomes King Nebuchadnezzar says, bow down and worship this idol. And they're like, no way, no way. And they tell King Nebuchadnezzar it's not going to happen. Well, they get tattled on actually. They get tattled on and um, King Nebuchadnezzar calls in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he says, is it true that you're not going to bow down and worship? If you do not bow down and worship, you're going to get thrown into the fiery furnace, and then what God is going to save you? And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have a really wonderful answer. What they say is, look, um, our God, uh, first off, we don't need to defend ourselves or our answer to you. We're not going to give you some rebuttal on, you know, we, we don't need to think about it. We don't need to... Um, you know, we're not going to compromise on this. It's, 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 not, it's not something we're going to do. Um, and he said, if you don't, I'm going to have you killed. And they said, we understand, but here's the deal. Our God is able to save us, but even if he doesn't, we still will not bow down. This infuriates Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar says, heat up the furnace seven times hotter than it usually is. And then call me some very mighty men, some just um, 
some just machine type guys who will give their life for this cause. Call those men in here and bind up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them in the furnace. The furnace is so hot that the men who grabbed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to throw them in are killed by the flames just from getting close enough to throw them in. But then something miraculous happens. The king stands up from his throne and he looks in and when he looks into the furnace, what he sees is that there are now four men. And scripture says that King Nebuchadnezzar said, and the fourth looks like one of the sons of the gods. Well, we on this side of the cross know exactly who that is. Nebuchadnezzar immediately stands up and says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out and come here. When they come out and they come they come out and they are inspected, they their clothes are not burned, there is not one hair on their body that has been singed, and it even says they did not smell of smoke. Immediately a new decree was written that said, From now on no one will speak ill of the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now more than likely, none of us will ever face a literal fiery furnace. But it doesn't mean that we will not face moments in life that we must hold a similar spiritual front line. You see, some of us will have to carry out our day uh, at work in the life of the furnace of spiritual opposition, where we will have to say, I will not bow a knee to your God of cynicism and apathy to the Holy Spirit's call. Some of us in our relationships will have to say, I will not bow a knee to the God of false love and just getting by. Some of us will have to say, I will not bow a knee to the God of hopelessness, despair, and depression. You see, the temptations we will face will be different. You see, we will be tempted to trust in our own self-reliance. We'll be tempted to believe that a little compromise is okay. We'll be tempted to believe that God has even forgotten us. However, God did not forget us. Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion. But there are times to where it feels as if we're alone, where it feels as if God has forgotten us. And what are the things that we can do to get us through those times? What are some things that we can see to know that he is still present and he is still there with us? <clears throat> Excuse me. Here are three perceivable signs that God is still with you, even when you feel that he isn't. Number one, when the situation is beyond your control, you can know that God is near. When the situation is beyond your control, when you find yourself in a situation you cannot change, then rest in Him. Jesus describes this best in Matthew 11. He says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is heavy, I mean my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This is where we exchange the burdens of this world that are so heavy for his burden, which is light. And this is where we will find rest. When the situation is beyond your control, then you must understand he is near. Number two. When the situation requires more of you than you have to offer. This has to do with your fear, your worry, your doubt, your anxiety, and any other emotion. A commonly used phrase that is both very memorable and wrong is this one. God will never give you more than you can handle. 
well, this is not only incorrect, but hellishly incorrect. God allows many things to overcome and overpower our strongest strengths and our most familiar tools because in those moments when we are empty and cannot fight anymore, those are the moments that we come to rely on Him. Colossians 1.29 says this, To this end I strenuously contend with all the energy of Christ that so powerfully works in me. The Apostle Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians 12.10, That is why for Christ's sake I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardship, in persecution, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So when a situation requires more of you than you have to offer, then you can know that God is near. The third one is this, when you find peace, contentment, and boldness in the face of trials. There's a really, really cool formula to getting our heads and our hearts around our complex lives. The Apostle Paul outlines it this way. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition and thanksgiving, present your request before God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You see, we desperately need supernatural strength and spiritual agility to navigate and endure the many furnaces of this life. But those do not always come on their own. God desires a relationship with us, and He values our conversation, our prayer, and He wants to be invited into our pain. So, here you go. When we extend our faith toward God in prayer and petition and thanksgiving, during the times that make us anxious, He supplies us with a peace that transcends our natural mind. When you find peace, contentment, and boldness in the face of trials, then you can know that God is near. There's a couple of other lists I can throw at you. So how do we hold the spiritual line? When we are facing adversity, how do we hold the spiritual line? Number one, honesty. Speak the truth. Number two, boldness. Boldness is not a lack of fear. It is the fact that it is it is the practice of making your boldness and your bravery larger than your fear. And number three, community. None of this can be accomplished in isolation. So what are the results of trusting God during difficult times? Well, based on the story, here's what we see. Number one, deliverance. God delivered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But even if he didn't, He's still worth our praise. He's still worth our honor. He's still worth our obedience. Number two, they were unscathed, not even the smell of smoke. That brings glory to God. When we can travel through difficult times and come out on the other side unscathed, that is a result of us trusting God. And that also has to do with number three, changed hearts. Nebuchadnezzar's heart was changed because of what he saw. And that was because they were honest, they were bold, they were in community. And God provided deliverance. He, sh he proved to them, he proved to Nebuchadnezzar that they could be unscathed by his hand. And eventually that's what started to change Nebuchadnezzar's heart. 